Welcome back to the Sioux City Show. My name is Taylor Grody. I'm hosting this thing in the studio with me today. I have Dave Bernstein, the uh, founder, the originator. Co-founder. Co-founder of Saturday in the Park. And with Saturday in the Park coming up so soon, I wanted to have a chance to talk to you about like the history of the event, what people can expect this year, and I guess the, the general stuff that goes into planning such a big event for Sioux City. Um, so when did it start? Uh, we started in 1991. So this will be our 29th year. Okay. And um, yeah, just kind of right out of uh, college and uh, had come back to Sioux City and uh, started with Adam Figus and a guy named Tom Gruskin as well. Uh, okay. We were somewhat bored. And uh, so we decided to start a music festival and we were only doing it one time. Nice, nice. And now 29 it's 29 years later. Years later. Yeah. yeah. So, and it hasn't <laughs> happened for every year for 29 oh, yeah. years? Yeah. Nice. In fact, one year it happened twice in, uh, it was a two day. Wow. Once. And, and you, the third year we quickly? did it. Yeah. We yeah. did it two days on the third year and it was a lot of work. It was a lot more work. Yeah. I'd imagine. Um, so what was the original plan for the festival? Did you guys have like a certain music style you wanted to bring in? Because it's pretty eclectic. Yeah. Now. You know, it was always, the plan was always eclectic. I don't know that the plan was any different than what it is today. Uh, we were always clued into like blues and rock, um, reggae, uh, that whole mix, not so much jazz, um, but uh, it, it stemmed from a festival that I worked on in college called Armadillo Day at Northwestern. Um, I worked on it for a couple of years, and that was always like reggae and blues and and rock headliners. Uh, the the big year that that I was the the chair of that we had Third World uh, was one of the headliners, and a guy named Adrian Ballou. Uh, I think we had Buddy Guy um, or Albert Collins, one of the you know Chicago blues staple mm -hmm. legends play the night before actually jerry seinfeld was the co uh, comedian wow on the thursday night i mean jerry it was pre pre seinfeld pre blow up yeah uh, yeah pre pre tv show so uh you know it, it sort of came from that um music that we listened to mm -hmm. and ultimately the first year that um we started saturday in the park in 91 uh, i also attended the new orleans jazz and heritage festival and uh it really aligned well with what those guys were doing also there so i was uh, pretty pretty motivated and moved by what they were doing and um I, I tell agents all the time when they're they're like pitching us different things uh i say listen if it works at jazz and heritage festival in new orleans it, it's probably workable for us yeah and uh it's a good way to describe it oh awesome nice so uh what what concert, I guess, like out of every year, what's the one act that like really stands out to you as your favorite? You know, so for me, I think my favorite headliner was the Avid Brothers. The year okay. that we had the Avids, it was Bonnie Raitt and the Avids were the, the two closers. And the Avids were just really um, on fire on their way up. And uh, a lot of people went, I think a certain chunk of people went because they uh, were fans of... Um, Bonnie, and then they stayed because it's pretty compatible. And then people knew the Avits or knew of the Avits. And I think we really, a lot of folks told me later that they'd never even heard of the Avits before, but they loved that show. And I, I was familiar with them, but I just thought really that they kind of took it to a different level. Yeah, they're an example of uh, one of those acts that's just such great musicians that even people who aren't really fans of their music still are like, Jesus, this band's killing it. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And um, they're one of those bands as well. Like you listen to the recorded stuff and it's a little on the mellow side. Uh, but when you put them on, when they go on stage and they up-tempo it a bit, um, it's it's uh, a whole different different beast uh not unlike uh, i was just having a conversation uh, with someone yesterday about michigan rattlers who if you listen to their stuff they're playing this year you know midday uh on spotify you know some of it's on the mellower side some of it's pretty up tempo but when you see them live they're a much uh they're, they're pretty active band awesome so who are you most excited about this year uh <laughs> you know this year's all over the map uh pretty much um I don't know if there's anyone I'm most excited about. I mean, for me, I found that some of the people I get hyped up for in advance maybe aren't as great as some of the people that I wasn't expecting. So I kind of mm -hmm. try and keep that expectation open. That's a great thing about Saturday in the Park is because it's free. Um, you don't have to worry about, like, I bought my ticket to go to this show instead of that right. show. Uh, I I'm, have become a big fan of Michigan Rattlers, so I'm looking forward to those guys. They're playing, you know, pretty early, like 2, 2.30 okay. on Saturday. Uh, Conbrio is a uh, great uh, on the Abe stage a few years ago. So I think they're really going to do well on the main stage. Um, I think Liz Fair is going to bring a lot of people out. Yeah. Um, maybe more than we anticipated when we booked her. I think George will bring a lot of people out. And of course, Flo Ride is going to bring a lot of people out. And Modish Yahoo as well. There's a lot of hype and talk about Modish Yahoo uh, headlining the Abe. Um, the second stage or the Abe stage yeah. has really been uh, doing a great job the great last job. few years. Yeah, those guys are awesome. Absolutely. Uh, that's I, like, I, I like the thing that 
every year, you know, since it is a free festival, even if the headliners and somebody, somebody you might buy a ticket to, you can count on like six, seven hours of solid music leading up to that headliner. And there, mm-hmm. even if you haven't heard of the band, there's going to be somebody you like in there. Um, Gogol Bordello really sticks out to me. Yeah. It's one that I was like kind of shocked by. Yeah. I had no, you know, I think I was just there passing time until the next act. Right, was, right. But, um, yeah. Pretty crazy. Uh, that was one of my uh, target bands. Uh, sometimes I just get bands in my mind that um, I've seen. Mm-hmm. I saw Gogol Bordello twice yeah. prior to that. And uh, the first time I saw them, I don't know how, somehow I ended up with a DVD of theirs, wow. I think, and went to see them at Concord Hall, which was a hall in Chicago that holds about a thousand people on the second floor of a building and uh, they opened it and it was a train wreck in there. I mean, it was hot and sweaty and the whole floor was just moving and I was a little concerned the place was going to collapse, but it was an amazing show. And then we went to see him as well uh, later on in Vegas at uh, the Cosmopolitan. They played when they used to do that pool venue that Mm -hmm. they had where they would drain the water out of the pool at five o'clock. They had this system where it would just suck all the water out of the Mm -hmm. pool and then into a tank and then they put it back the next day. I was just um, at the Cosmopolitan yesterday. Yeah, it's cool. And yeah. they and they set up a stage and it was funny because we were out there to see Gogol Bordello and uh ended up getting like a room with a balcony and we were like out just drinking beers on the balcony. I'd been connected through someone else I knew to get a room that was facing the stage. Mm-hmm. And we were like 10 stories up on this balcony watching uh for Gogol Bordello on Saturday and Friday was uh, Panic of the Disco, who I'd been a fan of probably five, six, seven, eight years earlier. Uh And this was already, you know, darn near 10 years ago, eight years ago now, maybe whatever it was. Yeah. I think it had to be a 10 years ago because I don't think Panic at the Disco has been officially banned since like 2011, 2012, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's been out doing stuff. Brandon Gary has a great solo career now. I think he might. Well, no, he's out, he's out under Panic at the Disco. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's back out. And um, so it's funny because they're just, you know, that, you're right. He yes. under that name is yep. massive now. Um, but it was funny because they played Friday, so we watched that show mm-hmm. unexpected, and then Gogo Bordello, which was great, and brought nice. them here, and they were nuts. Those guys were nuts. Drinking vodka out of uh, they were pouring vodka through loaves of bread and drinking it wow. backstage. And I don't know if I got the liver to be a rock star, so I'm gonna <laughs> I, I picked this lane. I didn't have that one in me. Liver exactly. through a bread. Or a, Those guys it? hit it hard. Yeah. They were they were great. They were yeah. great. So who's do you have like a wish list of bands that like do you have seen that would be insane to get or you know not um it's all pretty obvious I think okay. I don't I don't know that I do at this point um so much of it for us at this point isn't so much who we'd want to get or who we think is good but who's possible both financially and who's possible routing wise okay. and that was a you know a challenge for us this year was Routing wise, there were so many bands that could have done it, wanted to do it, mm-hmm. um, could have worked, but ended up taking that weekend off or going to Europe mm-hmm. or were just coming back from Europe, uh, a multitude of different things. Fourth and of July weekend can be a little tricky. It's right? tricky. And yeah. I think in the end, after next year, we're going to have to move uh, oh. weekends. I just, it's, it's just too hard. Um, if you look, you can see a bunch of uh, tour schedules. If you go to Polestar or somewhere like that, where um, you'll see people playing up till, you know, the 29th, 30th this coming weekend mm-hmm. and then they're off until like the 11th yeah 10th, 11th 12th and um they're and just off i feel like that it's also uh like when acts can book their biggest venues because that's when the most people i feel like have free time to go to a concert so is it I, i'd imagine that like a lot of people are doing like that one vegas show or something when they're slipping it in or yeah some of it is is that some of it is that you don't sell a lot of tickets on holiday weeks weekends in the u.s mm. um you know, if you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to go play a random venue and Su- say you're going to go play the Tyson Center yep. in Sioux City and it's a holiday weekend, uh, you're either not going to be in town or mm-hmm. instead of buying two tickets, you're going to buy six tickets because you got a bunch of relatives or friends or family or something. True. So the you're always marketing to a subset of people who potentially can attend uh, on those holiday weekends. So you see a lot of artists either take it off or go to Europe because mm-hmm. Europe is a hotbed right now. I mean, there are a ton of artists in Europe or heading to Europe right now. That's crazy. Uh, and touring. And it's always been that way. You know, we struggled for many, many years to get BB King because BB King always went to Europe in July. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the one year that we were lucky enough to be able to book him, it was on June 30th was the festival. And he went oh. to Europe like the next day. Wow. So we just got lucky. We were able to convert, um, a messed up show that we inadvertently booked on election night, which was a mistake. Um, 
and then had to postpone into uh, that June 30th uh, Saturday in the Park, which really did work out well. Yeah. On so many fronts. I mean, we were going to take a bath on that show. And I feel like B.B. King is one of like the uh, the all stars. Like if you can if if you're selling somebody on the idea of coming to Saturday in the Park, if they're not from you here bet. or whatever, you can be like B.B. King came here or like Aretha Franklin. Yep. was Yeah. Some like a bucket list legend names have really he, come through. He was one of the bigger ones that we had. I was surprised because there just wasn't that much chatter about B.B. Um, beforehand, I even commented to one of the other folks I work with on the festival, I was like, man, I just don't, I'm not hearing much vibe, but it was just because everyone came out, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to see him. And I mean, kids up to, you know, people in their 90s. And, That's awesome. Uh, it was nuts. Um, you know, the other ones we get a lot of traction on when we mention them in kind of our pitch. Uh, you know, Santana, of course, being a big yeah. band that's always sold a lot of tickets, Alma Brothers Band, mm-hmm. uh, Ava Brothers, um, you know, folks like that that, you know, sell a decent decent Absolutely. amount of tickets on a regular basis. Um, so that gives that really sets the tone pretty well. So how how uh, has the turnout been over the years? Has it always been like now I know it is what, 25,000, 30,000 people. Show yeah, up to it? You know, we'll, we'll call it 20, 25,000 throughout okay. the day, realistically. Mm-hmm. And um, it's ebbed and flowed around then. There's been some years that have been bigger than other years. Mm-hmm. Certainly uh, I can kind of tell mid to late afternoon when I see the, uh, the road that kind of wraps around, you know, the food vendors are on one side of it. And then it's kind of the road that divides the beer garden Yeah, from, you know, when there's people starting to accumulate on that road to watch the show. And, right. you know, it's a pretty big year. And weather, wh- it's been a long time since there was like bad weather for one, yeah. hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to No, we've been, we've been, we've been lucky. We've really luckily not been impacted tremendously by weather the worst year for impact for us and it wasn't really a bad year was the year we had the wallflowers and michelle branch okay and the wallflowers closed and it rained pretty steadily from probably about halfway through michelle's set through the end of the wallflowers it was like a nice light summer rain Mm -hmm. um not windy Mm -hmm. and it was hot out so basically what we saw happen was the people that were there stayed Mm -hmm. and but it kept a lot of people out like I yeah. know a couple of people who said, oh, we saw the forecast and it was going to rain or it was raining. So we didn't come out. That's uh, a we've, we've had other years. Uh, the year we had Santana the second time, which I think was um, I can't remember when that was, maybe nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve Winwood, there were some storms coming in and it rained super hard in Sergeant Bluff. Oh, super. I mean, it might have been like an inch of rain in Sergeant Bluff and we did not get one drop. Didn't get touched at Grandview. No. That's crazy, oh. and that's what ten miles in between the two. Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. And we've had a couple years where it's rained afterwards. Uh, the year we had Doctor John, which would have been the third year, we um, he was playing, and right towards the end of his set, it started to rain. Okay, and you know, so people started trickling out, and he finished his set pretty much on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we tore down in the rain, and I think the year of the Neville Brothers, it rained pretty hard after their set, and I think we tore down a lot of stuff in the rain. I remember one year loading a truck that was at the end of the road, the band shell, the road up to the back of the band shell used to be really bad before the city fixed it up. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't really get semis all the way up, especially when it was rainy That'd and no visibility. And so we pushed cases, yeah, you know, in an inch of water all the way down the road and nightmare. into the trucks and everything was soaked and it was crazy. So those are, I mean, it, it is pretty crazy to have a 29 year festival where you can, especially in Iowa summer where you can only point oh, out yeah. like a couple of times where the weather was really gnarly. I, uh, I had a t-shirt company that we, uh, we had a booth, at Saturday in the park when we were in college the year that sublime with Rome was mm-hmm. it. And I want to say it was like 105 degrees the whole day. I've never been more sure I was going to die sitting in that tent on that concrete the whole day selling t-shirts, but right. sublime was a nice payoff at the yeah. end. Yeah. It was hot. They, uh, they dropped their share F bombs, which caused me a little bit of heartburn afterwards, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, they were good. They yeah. Were good. That, I, was, that was fun. I think my, my personal highlight so far from uh, Saturday in the park has been, was it CeeLo Green got on the stage? Yeah. And he gets on. I think his first line was like, uh, there's some lovely, lovely women in the crowd tonight. Which one of y'all are going to show me some titties? Yeah. And then you hear yeah. from off the, like, off the stage, this is a kid show. Yeah. Like, Sorry, kids. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. You know, he had that, that song, you know, the, and he, and he never, he never swore during, he just held the mic out and, you know, 20,000 people did it for him. And yeah. It was great. Yeah. yeah, you know we ca- we caught a little bit of flack for that. the The biggest thing we caught flack for, and I ended up apologizing two years in a row for kind of the unintended consequences of what happened on stage once once for Sublime and the year before with CeeLo. Mm-hmm. Um, the year CeeLo, the the bigger issue, I think, the bigger objection was the content that he had on the video screens um, uh, when he threw up the the video of women eating bananas. Um, that <laughs> that I think that caused some heartburn, and the guy who was the mayor at the time decided to. 
event at the city council meeting and you know we, we you know listen we don't want to offend anybody so yeah. we apologize the the sublime uh, with rome thing was um a little more bothersome for me just just because it was somewhat gratuitous i mean uh that you know there was just like a constant threat of kind of playing the to a different crowd yeah the yeah and it just yeah. didn't it didn't add anything you know what i'm saying uh-huh. it was it, it just was really unnecessary i mean listen some some lyrics have you know profanity in them and, mm-hmm. and that's you know uh dramatically uh if it adds it, something it's fine yeah, yeah if it adds something or if it's part of the dramatic or creative uh liberty of the of the writer so be it right yeah. i mean there's lots of books that have profanity et cetera, et cetera. but when it's just kind of like every other words every third word's the f-bomb it's mm. at some point it gets kind of tedious at film school we called it uh boobs without context like <laughs> when you just throw nudity in <laughs> right the right right, you can, right right it totally. anything yeah totally uh, that's funny. You know, the CeeLo video was creative, and it kind of went with the song. There was a point to it, so it wasn't out of left field. It wasn't boobs mm-hmm. without context, but the uh, the the sublime thing was boobs without context. It was just <laughs> there was just no nothing added. Yeah, and yeah. it was a little tone deaf to the crowd. Uh, I thought I'd as bet. well because they did not close. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. I think that they were. I, I want to say they were like in the heat of the day. Too. Yeah, so it didn't take much to look out and. Realize there were a lot of, a lot of children. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, teenagers. And, stuff. and uh, I feel like in Sioux City, whether it be for Saturday in the Park or uh, the Battery Park concert series, uh, the citizens of this town take it very seriously if you book a band that is not country or hard rock. It takes some talk. It takes some convincing. And, and I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that the average person, I'm saying that the people who post on Facebook apparently are huge fans of nothing but country or hard rock because it seems to cause an uproar whenever. Yeah. I, you know what we've seen generally, um, and part of it's the expectation setting mm-hmm. of, uh, free. Yeah. Uh, yep. clearly gets people to show up with different expectations. Um, you know, we've seen good feedback. I think sometimes what we see is disappointment because there's so many genres and we bounce around that I think people like get all psyched for, you know, everyone's got their own preferences, yeah. right? So clearly country's big and, and hot country is big. Mm-hmm. You know, you take um uh the you know, the latest and greatest country artist, um, like Kane Brown, who's just at the casino, and you know, he's huge right now. Mm-hmm. Uh and so there's gonna be more people that like him. Yeah, uh, you know, Spotify might yield similar results uh to that than there might be for Jason Isbell last year. Yep. And so we do see people, you know, they they get vocal because I think they're disappointed. They're just like hoping maybe they love the Avids and then all of a sudden we come back the next year with something completely different and then they're disappointed. Um on the backside of that, uh you know, it's good when you do hit hit some, you know, Thoroughgood this year's really classic rock. Yeah. Uh, and there's people pretty pumped and there's some people I think that would have been bummed um if that would have been it but then you also got florida mm-hmm. which is not classic rock yeah. um clearly you know heavy pop i mean a lot of people are like rap i'm like eh, you know like i think of like straight rap as something different i mean this is like r&b hip-hop yeah um and you he know, was kind of doing party anthems for like uh yeah. three years in the early and 2010s he's, there, and yeah. he's got tons of them yep. and if you look at like my house on spotify i mean that thing is pushing 600 million oh yeah absolutely. track you know it spins mm-hmm. and that is a huge number yeah you know that song on spotify has been listened to 600 million times that's insane that's hard to wrap your mind around that number yeah mm-hmm. there's thousands and thousands of people in siouxland that have been listening to that song on spotify absolutely as part of that 600 million and mm-hmm. that number just keeps climbing. I mean, I'm sure it's it's just below 600 million right now. I'm sure by the time Saturday in the Park rolls around, it'll break that. Okay. Um, and that's those are big numbers. Yeah. So you know, we look at some of that stuff more now. You didn't have that metric before. Yeah. But certainly, you can go. And there were a couple other people. We were getting down to the wire there in Florida, and there's a couple other options. And you know, I will tell you that Spotify in part played into that. Yeah. Um, to say like, there's guys got a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. Clearly, so with, or, or one person who's listening to that song continuously. <laughs> I hope not. I hope, I hope nobody's done that to themselves. But like in terms of adding Spotify counts into the list of considerations that you go through, um, I consider bands like Avit Brothers or uh, Isbell or like a Sturgill Simpson type character, somebody who's like maybe not in the pop mainstream yep. of what the average cons- uh music listeners going to listen to but are absolute killers and phenomenal performers what what uh when you're looking at who gets to headline and what all that like what goes into considerations of making that decision so it's a pretty 
convoluted mess, um, to be honest with you, of, mm-hmm. of uh, who's available, who's affordable, who we like. Uh, we've really stayed away from, you know, our biggest thing is who's good live. Mm-hmm. I would say from that perspective, uh, I love Gnarls Barkley, mm-hmm. and uh, I liked what CeeLo was doing at the time. But in hindsight, uh, we don't do track dates. So CeeLo showed up basically and sang to a track, which is pretty common with a lot of pop stuff. Uh, Flo Rida was, that was definitely highly vetted out before um, we offered on and confirmed Flo Rida was that Flo Rida plays with a full band mm-hmm. um, and does a great job of it. And and uh, our production manager, who happens to be my brother, um, has worked with them in the last couple months mm-hmm. and others I know have as well. And so if it wouldn't have been for the, the full band and everything, no matter how big someone is, I don't think we would have done that again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the criteria is they got to be great live. Yeah. Uh, that being said, we do kind of have a bent towards the Navy brothers being a good example of saying, here's a band who's getting pretty big, pretty popular, got a lot of material, um, great group, and maybe not commercially as viable in Sioux city, mm-hmm. uh, as other places, but Saturday in the park's free. So here's an opportunity to be able to present them yeah to a large group of people and i think that really that was a culmination of like the ideal scenario for us yeah yeah i think that i i did uh i worked for the concert production company for the university of iowa it's sure scope Rand. yeah scope yep. yeah and uh we had like a few shows like that as well where um i think like janelle monet we had oh, trouble yeah. pushing I tickets to, to like, get this is monet. one of the most phenomenal musicians out right now and even like the black keys wasn't yep. a huge early when we got them yeah, oh, yeah. early black keys yep yep yeah. I mean, I saw the Black Keys not that long ago. I'd say maybe within the last decade at Sokol oh, in yeah. the basement. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, that was, what, three, four hundred people and just the two of them. It wasn't, that's crazy. you know, five of them. Yeah. Uh, Janelle, I've seen a few times and she's another great example. We have offered on Janelle a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janelle only does so many dates. Now she's got this huge acting career. Yeah. Uh, so that's made it more complicated. But Janelle's great live. I want to say that she's she crazy was live. by far my, f- she was, she stands out as the nicest performer tenfold than yeah. the next nicest performer. Oh, yeah. She was she walked around after her show and thanked every single person that was on like the student committee uh cleaning up after the show. I'm like that's cool. That's very I appreciate that. Yeah. Um yeah I uh I went to we had fun, you know that band mm-hmm. We Are Young. Of course. We had them and it was like right when We Are Young had come out and it wasn't on the radio like it became eventually. And we had them do a live show in the auditorium of the IM or the lounge of the IMU before their actual show. And I want to say like five people came to it because no. like nobody <laughs> knew who fun was at the time. Yeah, and, and they blew up. Yeah. And then like uh, it was a matter of weeks later where they were like the biggest band in the U.S. because yep. they were on like four commercials simultaneously. So, yeah, it's funny. We had Nate Russ over at uh, the Orpheum here a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was a great show. Mm-hmm. And it was a good chunk of the fun catalog, along with some of the solo stuff. It was a really great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hard to make that jump yeah. from fun to Nate. Yeah. And Nate, of course, being the voice uh, of that band. Um, so it was a little frustrating. Um, and, and they were sort of, his folks were, you had to kind of be careful on how you tried to build that. Um, oh, they didn't want any. Yeah, you that. know, sometimes they get these ideas that, that, um, they don't really want to bring that up so much. Want a clean and, break from the old band. Yeah, but you know, that's the Yeah. That's kind of the stuff that got you there. So it's like when Vanilla Ice used to freak out when people told him to play Ice Ice Baby. It's like <laughs> what are you here for, guy? <laughs> exactly. You're here for one song. Play it twenty at, times. At some point you're looking for the hits. At yeah. least some of the hits. You don't have to have all the hits, but um certainly some of them. And there's very few performers that can get by not uh not playing the big songs you know i saw clapton once uh quite a while ago now do a blues tour mm-hmm. and all he played was the blues and he did throw in like white room yeah a blues, blues version of it but it was really just blues classics and i remember sitting through that show about a third of the way in, and i'm like man he is about the only guy that could do this yeah you know there might be a couple like neil young could come in and do something like that you know and some of those guys are just so good that you you walk out of clapped and mm-hmm. playing all blues and say man that was amazing but most performers yeah. you want to hear at least some of it that, that's always the frustration with mark Knopfler, who's a great one um, mark puts on a great live show mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for dire straits it would be an amazing show except for the fact that 
you can't forget that he's with Dire Straits. So he throws in like two Dire Straits songs Mm -hmm. and it's great, great, great. And then he plays a Dire Straits song and you're like, oh man, I want more Dire Straits songs now. And you can't get over that. I bet. And um, I feel like somebody needs to have like (laughs) uh, arguably the greatest blank ever in their in their repertoire to like really be able to sell just a live show completely divorced from yeah. their their big bit like clapton arguably the greatest guitar player ever, yeah so. and mark Knopfler could probably do it if he didn't throw in the the couple of dire straits songs but the minute you hear you know tunnel of love i mean then you're just like Ugh. yeah <laughs> i just want to hear a whole show with that stuff yeah i could i could hear prince play whatever the hell he wants to play for an hour but if he doesn't throw in purple rain yep. at the end i'm gonna be left wanting more so. absolutely yeah so with- i saw prince at one point and he did like about half the set was a dj set that he did and it was i don't know if i it, wanted it was interesting but it wasn't great yeah that's a bummer because i would I, <laughs> luckily I, mean, I saw him one more time after that because otherwise go. that would have been stuck in my mind was the second one better the second one was off the hook amazing okay i saw him at a uh he played george lucas's wedding reception in chicago Okay. Uh, George Lucas got married somewhere else, uh-huh. like in San Francisco, and then they had a party in Chicago. And he announced at noon on a Saturday that he was playing City Winery at 2 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, 10 hours, 12 hours later, 14 yeah. hours later. And City Winery holds 300 people. Wow. And my friend Beth got got us four tickets. And uh, so we went and started waiting in line at 1 a.m. and finally got in about 2.30, and he uh-huh. went on at 3 a.m. and played the wedding set. With That's an eighteen-piece band, and it was hit after hit after hit after yeah. hit until five thirty in the morning, and it was the weekend before Saturday in the Park. It was this coming weekend, really. And uh, I remember going outside, and the sun was coming up, and thinking, "Man, only <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that that couldn't have worked out any better." So. That's a uh, if I if I like was sitting here today, and you know Prince was alive, obviously, and he like tweeted out like in twelve hours I'll be playing this show in Chicago, and I was able to get tickets, I would be driving to chicago this afternoon absolutely yeah if those flights were all booked up which they yeah, usually are it was amazing yeah that's crazy so booking booking shows where did the you know right after college where did that passion come from i know that you saw you saw other shows but it's a big leap to light concerts and then yeah. going to throw in your own festival you know it actually happened in college well going back even before college i i uh used to dj in high school mm-hmm. and it was different kind of djing but i used to dj a lot of stuff at north high um I got kind of into the role where for a couple of years I was doing a dance up there every other weekend um, for the football team or the cheerleaders or whatever. Mm. Uh, And, you know, we charged like 200 bucks and I spent about half of that money on albums and the other half of it on beer. Nice. And, you know, we'd have beer in our car outside and go outside (laughs) and drink, you know, during the, but, and they clamped down on all that. Um, but, But it kind of started there. And uh, then when I rolled into college, I ended up in a fraternity and we did a lot of live bands at our fraternity. And so I got involved with that pretty heavily with another guy named Jeff Quatnitz. And then uh, we worked on Armadillo Day. And then afterwards, we started promoting shows in Chicago. Okay. And we promoted a bunch of shows for about a year and a half at places like the Riviera and the Park West and the um, Cabaret Cabaret Metro. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really is where I kind of started and learned how to buy bands and deal with contracts and yeah. promoting. And because we were promoting, we were literally selling tickets and it was feast or famine. Right. You know, so then when I got back here, that's kind of how I got. I already knew to a point some agents. I knew, you know, how to go about getting Buckwheat, Zydeco, and Gatemouth Brown, who are our first two mm-hmm. um, headliners, if yeah. you will, at Saturday in the Park. And, um, so that's how, you know, kind of how it evolved into that. Um, and then after that, we, we got going for like a year. I think we started in 91, and then 92 we booked the Neville Brothers. But around that same time, we started doing shows at the Blue Cellar, which used to be in the basement of the Katy Station. Oh, okay. And that was dormant at the time. They were calling it the Salt Cellar, and it was a room that uh, they used for uh, parties. It was like a party room. You could mm-hmm. rent it for a wedding reception. And yeah. it wasn't the greatest room for that. You know, it was a little... um little rootsy <laughs> yeah that, most places most rooms in the kd station felt like there's a decent yeah. chance you could get murdered there yeah even on the nicest day. <laughs> i don't know about yeah. that but yeah no it was like it was a horror a, movie wouldn't yes, look they could have for sure room. filmed a horror movie yeah. in the kd station um but you know damon laurie and vicky had uh that place and and we worked out a deal with them i think in exchange for we kept the door and they ran the bar mm-hmm. and place held about 450 um, and we started doing shows down there. We did a band, the Table Rockers, were just a blues band out of uh, Lincoln. Mm-hmm. It was this guy Larry Beamer that owned the zoo bar there at the time. Came over. I remember we paid him six hundred bucks and uh, sold two, three hundred tickets, and worked out great. 
and people were like, "That ah, no one's gonna pay for a cover charge in Sioux City," and they were wrong. Yeah. Um, and we started doing shows every two to three weeks, and so we were really doing a lot of that, um, along with Saturday in the Park, and okay. then when the Orpheum opened in what was it, two thousand three, uh, uh, two thousand uh, two thousand two thousand one. Oh, okay. Um, we jumped in and we did a lot of shows the first couple of years in the Orpheum. Nice. Um, kind of to prime the pump. We were involved in Dylan when he played there. We were involved heavily in, in Cheryl Crow, mm-hmm. one of the 20 times she played there. Um, we were we brought in Kev Mo, uh mm-hmm. early on. Uh, we were involved with, with Cosby. Um, there were a few that, others. Damn him on. for putting that asterisk there on your, <laughs> on your list of accomplishments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, uh, yeah, so we got into that stuff and then, you know, got out as more traction got going for the, the yeah. Orpheum as well. And we did some other shows at some other clubs. We did shows yeah. in some other cities. At one point we did like a mini run with Cheryl Crow where we did a show with her here, Des Moines. She played Davenport, but we didn't have a piece of that. And then we jumped over to South Bend in Fort Wayne, Sweet. Indiana, um, which was good. We done, you know, some shows and uh, done some Johnny Lang dates like in Quad Cities here, Sioux Falls, Fargo. Uh, some other shows up in a few shows up in Sioux Falls. Mannheim Steamroller was one of them. I'm mm-hmm. Trying to remember the other ones we've done, uh, and a few shows in Omaha. Nice. So every once in a while, when I have somebody who like I feel like really can offer some advice on the show, um, I feel like there's a lot of younger people, maybe in their 20s, who could see themselves as like a concert promoter <laughs> or somebody who somebody who follows a similar path. So like if yeah. somebody was looking to do it today, because I, I know that the average kid is going to go like. How do I get a budget to pay yep. these artists? How do I get in touch with the artists? How, like, what is the what would the actual like startup route be? Yeah, so you know, I'm hesitant to bash on concert promoting, which I've been doing on and off for a long time. It's usually be- pretty scummy industry. Well, it's just yeah. it's gambling. Um, yeah. but but only because like if I would have asked somebody who'd been doing festivals for ten years about Saturday in the Park, we would have never started it. Yeah. If we would ask somebody early on about the Orpheum, how to approach it, we would have never done it. Yeah. So you gotta kinda cut your own path. Um Not the thing I will it. tell you is I can I can tell you right away, and there's been people that this has happened throughout the years after Saturday in the Park out rolling. Um, if someone comes along and says, Hey, um, I'm going to start this festival. I got this great t-shirt design or this great logo. And that's the first things out of their mouth. It's going to be a disaster. Right. Um, we, even though we were pretty young, we're pretty disciplined business wise. We didn't know it, but Mm -hmm. you know, we, we carved out this five page proposal, which I think is living over at the museum now, but we still use a not much different permutation. Deepalog at one point, just put graphics on it. (laughs) Um, and cleaned it up for us. But basically it, it was a pitch to go sell like a marketing value. Yeah. And our premise always was, okay, we got to get the rights to the park and we have to be able to sell beer. And then if we can get that, then we have to go get some in-kind media sponsors. And in that case, we went and got uh, Z98 and uh, KTIV at the time. And they gave us a chunk of ads. And then we went and took that and parlayed that into sponsorship dollars in our case. Mm -hmm. And once we had the sponsorship dollars, then we went and booked Buckwheat Zydeco and Kate Mouth Brown. And those guys we booked, you know, four or five weeks out. Yeah. Uh, Because we wouldn't do it without the money. Uh, We needed to know we had a budget. Nice. And lined up beer and everything else. And you have to, it's a business. Yeah. And you have to deal with it like a business. You have to make a budget. I mean. There's a million moving parts in this business, even more so than And you can do it on a piece of notepad or Mm -hmm. whatever, but you have to do it. And the same with the concert, because. You, you go do a concert at the Orpheum or any other venue. Um, you know, I've done shows out at Lewis and Clark Park and places like that. And um, you have to lay out, like, what are your costs? Because it's not just paying an artist 50 or 100 grand or 300 grand or whatever it is. But, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, okay, let's see, the tickets were 75 bucks and you sold probably 2,000 of them. And they always get the number wrong. You know, so that's $150,000. So, God, you must have made tons of money. And, and you have to look at it and say, you know, how much was the artist? Yep. But also, how much was the venue? Mm-hmm. How much is insurance? How much is power? Mm-hmm. Um, how much is marketing, mm-hmm. which is a huge expense? Um, how crew, much is catering? Yeah. Uh, Stagehands, you know, generators, security, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And really add that up mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, does this work? Yeah. And how many people? And that's always the biggest challenge is how many people will buy tickets at a given price. Yeah. Um, we, 20 years ago, had this 
stupid tool that we invented that was, I thought, in the end, retroactively brilliant. And it was back when like it was dial-up to send emails. Yeah. And we had an email list at the Orpheum of maybe 1,000, 1,500 people. And we would send out this text email. Mm-hmm. And it would say, you know, it had this, you know, this little ramble in front, but it would say of the following five artists, you know, please tell us how many tickets you would buy mm-hmm. uh, if they were coming. We'd always have some red herrings in there, uh, make up some stuff, but we'd have a couple of ones we were really looking at at the time. I remember one big one was Meatloaf at the time, mm-hmm. and we did it with Cheryl Crow too. And we'd put like the projected ticket price. So you'd say Cheryl Crow, $50 mm-hmm. and send it to this list of, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people. And you'd be getting responses back in minutes. You know, wow. like a minute or two. Yeah. And you'd go tally them and say, okay, we, we knew what our normal response rate, rate was. If it was if we sent out 1,500, we'd normally get 300 back, yep. 400 back. And um, you don't really care if you get a represent. What you really care about is how many people like respond saying, I'd love to buy four tickets to Cheryl Crow. Yeah. And we'd add that up. Yeah. You know, and that would tell us like what the interest was. Mm-hmm. Um, the golden well, age of email marketing. Yeah, like, and it yeah. was there was nothing to it, and you could still get the same response today, but no one ever does it mm-hmm. anymore. And I'll I'll tell you, I booked Meatloaf into the Orpheum off of one of those deals because we had a massive response, mm-hmm. and we charged like seventy five bucks. Yeah, maybe sixty five. I don't know. And uh, we paid him seventy five grand, which was pretty big at the time for the or- Orpheum. Yeah, and I had a couple other promoters like, "What are you doing?" Like, why are you paying him that much? Like, we're trying to get him for cheaper, and we keep hearing from the agent. You got a couple dates with him at 75, and that's an irresponsible number and all that. And she, I mean, I put those shows on sale. They all sold out in, like, two hours. Wow. So they could tell me all day long. I don't care, because I would have been giving him that money anyway. One thing about concerts, by the way, is the bigger an artist is, the more they get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, people go to see the artists. Yeah. They would prefer maybe to see a show at the Orpheum over you know, some other less yeah. desirable venue, um, you know, uh, you know, just a rundown place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like the Orpheum sells better than the Sokol or whatever. It could. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, but, but all that being said, it's gotta be the right show, but venues don't sell tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, a good venue and someone playing a great venue adds, but it, it, in the end, Neil Young sells tickets, Yeah, you know, or Avid brothers or whoever. So, in the end, the deals with the artists are always a guarantee versus a percentage, meaning you might pay someone $50,000, but if you sell $200,000 for the tickets to that show, you're not just paying them 50 grand. You're paying them 50 grand versus like 80% mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the gross less the expenses. So in a case like that, and it, like when a show sells out, like with Meatloaf, maybe it grosses $120,000. We might have given Meatloaf $90,000 instead of $75,000 mm-hmm. because – but we made plenty of money. It, it, yeah. the, the thing was like Meatloaf makes his money guaranteed to come here. Then we get to make some money. Then once we both made money, then we're sharing mm-hmm. disproportionately yeah. <laughs> towards the artist. Because yeah. in the end, Meatloaf's the guy that sold tickets. I didn't sell the tickets. He, he's the one who has an artist yeah. or is an artist and honed a craft. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on board with that. I uh, I did do photo and video for a, a, a festival that will go unnamed that I worked there for two <laughs> days. And I, I want to say I was... Uh, promised it was like a 2200 or 2500 dollar job or something like that and the festival claimed bankruptcy right after the yep um artist and i was like that's really cool that's a that's it a, happens i didn't want any money from this you know so it, uh, it, it happens mm-hmm. it's it's um it's more common and I, I really believe that most people that go into that um have good intentions yeah and they really are doing it for the right reasons, but maybe they're a little irresponsible in the mo- in the money part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Firefest, of course, now has become the the quintessential cluster of, yeah. of festivals. In that, I mean, I I literally watched those two documentaries mm-hmm. about Firefest, and I it just makes me cringe because I've been in positions similar to that where. Except for the fact that we've never had a position where we couldn't deliver. Yeah. Like, we delivered the show. I mean, there were shows that we delivered that we knew we were losing 20 grand that night. Mm-hmm. And we always had a rule that we would show up, no matter what, we always have money to pay the bands. Yeah. The bands are not going to play and not get paid. In um, in this in that documentary, did you watch the documentary? Yeah. Did they? Because I, I, I didn't watch the documentary, but I, uh, yeah. I watched a vlogger that was actually working on the marketing team <laughs> oh for Firefest, and like yeah. he was completely in the dark about it. Like the, yeah. the marketing team that like had no idea that the event wasn't happening. So like the vlogger, like for months leading up, I was like, "Oh, we have a meeting with Ja Rule. We have a meeting about this Fire Festival. This is the crazy thing that's going to be happening." And then like his actual a lot of his footage is is in that documentary because yeah. I know that it was like the, the preamble to it. But uh, did they say like did they know? 
one week out that it wasn't going to happen? Like, I how did that happen? They they had people showing up. That's crazy. On their charter planes. Um, they pulled the plug before oh. it got too deep into it. But in part, people had nowhere to stay. Yeah. Uh, the guy kind of snapped that was running it, I think. He snapped okay. and just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and he may have had some you know, deceptive or, you know, so listen, some people can take that leap of faith that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of people out there that will do that. Oh, it's going to work out. But, mm-hmm. but when you're, it's one thing if you're in New York or Chicago where there's resources, right? Where yeah. you've got mass transit and you've got hotels. And in the end, a bunch of people might sue you or protest on their credit cards to get a refund. Mm-hmm. When you drag everybody to some Island in the Bahamas that doesn't have the facilities or the resources, Becomes life or death. You really got a problem because they had like rain and they they put up all these tents for people to live in that were supposed to be like luxury cabanas or whatever they were promised. And then it rained and everything got wet. And And I want to say there was like five cabs on the island. Like, no. Exactly. I mean, there was no, I mean, it was a mess. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) yeah, it was crazy. Uh, It was crazy. You know, you're seeing the same thing a little bit right now with this Woodstock 50 or whatever they're calling it. Um, Or I don't know what year it is, but. You know, they announced it. They had a lineup announced. Now they couldn't get permits for the venue. Um, oh. They're now trying to come up with a different venue. They're still trying to pull it off. It's supposed to be, I think, in like three or four months. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to go by the wayside. Uh, certainly in upstate New York, there's still facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Woodstock, to begin with, was nothing short of a cluster in that they just threw up a show in the middle of a farm field in the middle of nowhere and people yeah. just showed up. I mean, it could be the same as going 20 miles out of Sioux city yeah, and throwing up a stage and saying that the stones are going to play there or something. And then you're just going to have a a chaos. Very similar to an unnamed festival that left me unpaid. Yeah. Right. Um, Um, But, uh, but you know, that being said, I mean, people can still get back in their cars and drive back to Sioux city or Omaha or Sioux falls and get hotel rooms. Right. Uh, when you're on an island in the Bahamas, yeah. you can't do any of that. The only <laughs> so it's worst all extra, situation is an extra bad situation. If you if you say like was it Altamont Altamont Speedway or whatever, Altamont, yeah. where uh, it's the Rolling Stones, right? Had yeah, do yeah. that by uh, Hell's Angels. Yeah, yeah. That's about the only worse option than uh, than a desert island. And people could have gone back. You know, they, people could get out of Altamont. Yeah. Um, it was a speedway. You know, oh, that yeah. place was made for on an ongoing basis, uh, attracting large crowds. And mm-hmm. it was near a metropolitan area, which most venues are. I mean, you know, very few people build venues in the middle of nowhere that yeah. are built to accommodate 50,000 people. Um, because you really have to look at that life safety stuff, not not just in terms of the safety component of it, but also like, how do you feed people? How do you get them water? Right. Restrooms, Bathrooms, yeah. basic. Where are they going to sleep? And, yeah. and that's a complication those guys ran into in the Bahamas that they were just so ill-equipped that you see from the video. I mean, it's worth watching the video because yeah. you see how ill-prepared these guys are. I'll have to check and, that out. And they had a lot of production people to make sure the show was going to be produced properly, but they did not have the accommodation thing oh, remotely right. dialed in. So yeah, I actually heard uh, from Travis Barker's perspective because you know Blink-182 was like one of the first bands to sound the alarm say that yep. they pulled out. And we haven't been paid it. our deposit. Yeah. And did you know that because he was in that plane crash that killed DJ AM and so Travis Barker doesn't go on planes anymore. So like he was driving across the United States to get on a cruise ship out of like Florida and then and then sail to the island and like halfway through it was like no we're done with this and there, he was like the canary in the coal mine for the whole thing I guess uh, yeah I think I think so and yeah. that comes out in the in the video um, and it's good to you know good to see that we're we're really we're really um, and we always have been. We're very, very particular about we pay our deposits on time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we may miss, you know, if the deposit's due on a weekend, we may pay it on Monday mm-hmm. just because we forgot or whatever. But, you know, if our deposits are due, like for Saturday in the Park, I mean, every band's been paid a deposit yeah. that, you know, of the national touring folks that require that um, 30 days out, you know, and uh, there's no question. And we're emailing all them directly, like, how do you want to handle settlement? You know, nice. are we going to do a wire? Are we going to do a company check? Uh-huh. What works for you guys? Uh, you know, back back a long time ago, it used to be cash. Yeah. Uh, today, it's you know, there's no cash. Nobody even wants the cash. Yeah, it makes you know, sense. They, they don't want to take the cash. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they'll lose the cash. <laughs> uh, they want us more and more. You know, Monday we wire balances. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, the, we I guess we can wrap things up here unless you have anything else you wanted to add. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. <laughs> is, is <there laughs> it can go on and on. <laughs> so I got I got two things for you. Number mm-hmm. one is. Is there anything that people need to make sure that they bring or know before going to Saturday in the park this year? Yeah, you know, it's it's 
kind of the same drills it's been in the past. It's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, the single best thing you can do is drive to the Tyson Center and take a bus up okay. there. It the the city does an amazing job with the busing, mm-hmm. getting up there super easy, and even the wait to get out of there at the end of the night. I mean, you, you might wait 10, 15 minutes to yes. get on a bus. You're not going to wait that long. And there's no parking up around there, and there's tons of construction up around there, and people will literally drive around and spend a half hour between trying to find a place to park and walking over there and then going back mm-hmm. when they can just go to the Tyson Center and take a bus. Might as well. Um, no coolers, no pets. Uh, we really – it's free, right? Mm-hmm. We, the sponsors – you know, the sponsors and the volunteers, including our committee, uh, keep that thing going. Um, mainly the, com- I mean, the committee is what keeps me involved because I love working with the committee. We got the best committee and it's a working committee. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, we pay the bills in part by selling beer, selling mm-hmm. food, um, selling drinks, you know, uh, pop and tea and water and Chesterman products, uh t-shirts and everything else um so we ask people don't bring coolers um and uh, don't bring pets it's a lousy place i love pets i have a wonderful dog dolly mm-hmm. but i would not even think about taking dolly up to that park yeah during saturday in the park you mm-hmm. know dolly might get lost scared spooked whatever poop on the ground poop on the ground Any there's, one of there's a million reasons why not to um so we ask people not to do that um and uh the other thing is this year we're adding and going to do a better job of denoting um, refillable water stations. We'll have a couple of them uh, so people can bring their empty water bottles and fill them. Um, they can buy a bottle of water that Chesterman's would supply and then refill it a couple times. Uh, I think that's just, you know, looking at uh, the overall, you know, people's interest in what's going on. I mean, I use a refillable water mm-hmm. bottle most of the time and, and um you know, when I don't uh, go to an airport, I'll go to the Sioux City Airport and buy a bottle of the airport and I'll fill it up in Chicago a couple of times. And, yep. and um, you know, it's all good. So we want to offer that. People got to stay hydrated. Super mm-hmm. important. Um, so that's good. We're going to have uh, feature a couple of the local um, craft breweries there. Awesome. Uh, Jackson Street and, uh, and Bruce Sioux. Uh, Bruce City. Bruce City. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, those guys have been great. Um, they have a citrus day in the park. Oh yeah, that that's they right. made up. Yeah. They got a killer label for it that Jason did. I believe and, it's uh, an IPA, right, with a uh, citra hop. So yeah, yeah. Jason yeah. and Kelly Quinn work on the uh, Jason Ryder and uh, Kelly uh, do that stuff. Jason mm-hmm. does the labels, and you know Kelly's part of the brewing operation. And they also work on the Abe Abe stage uh, yeah. as well. So uh, um, that's great. And the and the Abe stage this year is in memory of of um of uh, pete johnson okay as well so because nice. you know, pete in the end i think brandon snow uh so uh went to pete was friends with pete and and um where those guys went uh through uh pete's folks who've worked on the festival forever and that's how that got going oh great uh the abe okay you know because it wow. was dormant for a couple years yeah and uh that's really how it came back um, so we'll have, you know, those, we, uh, Marto just opened. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, we didn't quite make that connection. Um, but, um, that would, you know, be, it's great to have the local craft in the future, up yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a nice addition. I'm just trying to think if there's any, uh, any other new twists. I don't really think so. Well, then my last question to you is what do you think is the most slept on thing in Sioux city? So it's like something that exists in Sioux city that you think that everybody should know about that you love. Oh, slept on that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's a tough one. I wish I had more time to ponder that. Oh, okay. So uh, I, I can do mine first. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my most slept on thing in Sioux city is, oh my gosh. And I, I'm like 20 some episodes deep in this. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really digging at the bottom of my barrel now at this point. But I think that my most slept on thing in Sioux city is the Bacon Creek Trail because if you have a dog and they got the the walking or the uh, dog park out there at Bacon Creek, which is all right if you want your dog to get in a fight, but um, <laughs> I, I think it's like the perfect circumference to walk around for like one dog walk and the nature is great the whole way and it's paved. So I think that that's about as good of a place to walk a dog in Sioux City yeah. as you're going to get. So yeah, I'll get, I'll, you know, I, I, now that you mentioned that, uh, I'm a big fan of the dog park. Mm-hmm. My dog's a little bigger, so I got, yeah, you know, I got lucky, a Doberman myself. Lucky so. that way. Um, but I love the dog park. I'll tell you, like along that same vein, mm-hmm. uh, the Rose Garden. Oh, okay. Um, not to kind of take a easy one there, but the Rose Garden behind Gramby Park, especially on a random day, mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. And to look at that and, and say, you know, this is something the city 
owns and maintains. Yeah. And they have gardeners that maintain that and do a wonderful job of it. Uh, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And there's times of the year, you know, different times, but that it's in full bloom. Yeah. And it's amazing. Right. So the Rose Garden's super cool. The other one is War Eagle. Uh, okay. I've been up there in the last couple of weeks, and War Eagle's awesome. Uh, really awesome, especially if you go up there later. Uh, you know, or at a time when there's not a lot of people up there, yeah. um, including there's some spots up there. Uh, first of all, the statue is super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then secondly, there's some spots kind of around the fences that you can kind of get through where the view is amazing. Yeah. And you can sit up there and look at the, you know, the way as the big Sioux flows into the Missouri mm-hmm. and it's a pretty peaceful place and a great place. And it's, it's a place that every time I go up there, I see people up there, but it's not a heavily used place, no, not uh, at all. which is great. So it's a really good kind of meditative place mm-hmm. as well. Um, Sunrises and sunsets there are pretty beautiful. Yeah. It's got it's, the nice light on the statue and then, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're kind of sitting there in a spot where you're looking over that river Valley mm-hmm. and a river Valley that you can kind of see maybe how it was even 200 years ago before it was channelized and open all the way across to Nebraska to the bluffs over there. And, you can get an idea of maybe what those guys saw when they were settling Sioux City and, yeah. um, you know, in a much uh, wilder time or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. less uh, less structured time, I should say, yeah. where Sioux City was smaller and the steamboats were running up. But it's it's cool. It's a pretty inspiring place. Love and it. you can see on a decent, you know, seeing like Port Neal is mm-hmm. nothing up there. I mean, you can oh, see yeah. way, way, way to the south and, and just way yeah you know across port neal and across to winnebago and and even beyond yeah. those places i mean those places might be what 20 25 miles and you probably see 30 miles 40 miles my eyes aren't very good and i can see jefferson with no problem up there i'm pretty sure yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah and and it, it's cool so I'll, I'll go with that i like to it. back that up great answers <laughs> all right and not give away my incredibly uh childish uh taste in food and all the <laughs> junk food that i eat all the time that i shouldn't that right. i can pick off about 10 places in sioux city so i love it well i appreciate it. that was a, as an original tasting one. it out onion chips would be the other one there we go don't, don't be wasting too many of my good my good slept yeah. ons here yep. um yep. so uh with that i'm sorry july what july 6th july 6th yep july 6th is saturday in the park and it is going to be a killer one this year um there's a little something for everybody and if you like this show, go ahead and like, subscribe, tell your friends about it, all those good things on social media. I really appreciate all those things. And make sure to come out to Saturday in the Park. For Sioux City Show, I'm Taylor Grody. Thanks so much. Thank you.